So I've been talking about uh, authority and the things that, and how we are to occupy. That was the first uh, week that we're to occupy, that we're to take our authority, that we're to know who we are in God. And it's our business to find out what that is. <clears throat> we find out what that is through the Word of God. And now we're talking about the things that keep us from walking in our authority. Uh, the first one, I believe, was um, uh, walking in the flesh. And the second one was walking, what was it? Somebody tell me. Oh, unforgiveness and offenses. And tonight we're going to talk about fear. That fear keeps us from pressing in and stepping into what God has for us. Remember Peter, how Jesus stood on the water and the storm was raging. And he looked out and he saw Jesus. And he, he I mean, they, they didn't know for sure, but he said, Jesus, is that you? So they didn't see him quite well. I mean, if there's a storm going on in the ocean, it's pretty scary. And here's this man walking on the water. They thought maybe he could have been a ghost. And so they look at him, and Peter says, Jesus, is that you? And he says, yes, if that's you, bid me come. And he says, come. And the Lord says that to us. And we say, Lord, if that's you, bid me come. And the Lord is saying, come, come deeper. It's the same as the music that we sang tonight. Take me to the secret place. Take me to a deeper place. That should be the cry of our heart every single day. Take me to the secret place. Take me to a deeper place. Because there's, you can never go too deep in the Lord that there's not a deeper place to go. Because that's how God is. Everything about him takes us further and further into the things of his spirit. And we are eternal beings. We're not just here for a, 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 a moment and we die and that's it. We are eternal and we will be going into eternity. And we have, I believe, assignments and things that we don't just sit on a cloud and play a violin. You know, I mean, there's things that God has planned. There's more beyond this life. And in the natural, our, our, our human man, this is all we see. But when we get in God and we get into that secret place and into his spirit, like tonight, we worshiped God. That was a taste of how we can go into the spirit. And it reminded me a little bit about, of Kim Clement when Dominic did, when he began to prophesy. Uh, I don't know if you've listened to Kim Clement. When he goes, he hears a word. He'll be Plain, and he'll hear a word, and he'll, it'll ignite inside of his spirit, and then he'll begin to proclaim it, and then he'll have the people begin to proclaim it. And it's, it's, a, it's a prophetic declaration, and that was kind of what we had a little bit of a taste of, and I believe they're going to get more skilled in it, and they're going to flow in it and, and actually really pull us out into that place because the Lord wants to take us on the water like Peter and sometimes walking on the water, well, all the time, it's scary. I mean, we, that's not a natural thing to do, walk on water. You know, we walk on solid ground, and yet when Jesus says, come, that our response, he says, follow me, our response should be to, like the disciples, to let everything go and turn and follow him. And those disciples, when he called them, they were doing stuff of their livelihood, that was their livelihood that they were taking care of. And Jesus said, come follow me. And they immediately dropped, something ignited in them. And they dropped everything they had and they turned and they followed him. And we have done that when we respond to him. When we got saved and we do that every day when he speaks, we respond out of our spirit man, take me to the deeper place. Lord, bid me come and I will come. And then we have to keep our eyes on him. Because we know that when Peter stepped out there, you know, Anybody, everybody can say things about Peter. You know, he's done a lot of kind of crazy things and um, 
some very kind of stupid things, some of them, but he walked on the water and the other ones didn't at all. Okay, he stepped out of the boat. He had the guts to step his foot out of the boat and he immediately connected with Jesus. And when he stepped out of the boat and kept his eyes on Jesus, he was walking with him. It's not until he began to look at the storm and look at that, that what he was doing was not natural that he began to sink. And even in that, Jesus reached for him and pulled him up. And that's how gracious he is. And so today I want to talk about the fear. And this is, um, an, I feel like I've been t- teaching very hard messages, but really they're just messages straight out of the Bible. And the Bible is, Jesus said he, he didn't come to bring peace. He came to bring, you know, a father against mother, mother against child. And he came to bring a dividing line. And when he came, he became a rock of offense to those that didn't receive him. And so really the word speaks for itself when we read it. And um, sometimes I read it and I get convicted. I think, wow, that's really, wow, I don't, okay. And I just keep on moving on. But tonight I want to talk about fear, but not just fear, as in, you know, fear, but fear of taking up our own cross. Because if we can't take up our cross, we can't be his disciple. And so I want to start in um, 1 Corinthians one eighteen. And if you guys turn there, I've actually typed it out because I can't read. This type is so small. I keep it here just because it's like a, a comfort thing. <laughs> it is. <laughs> okay, 1 Corinthians 1, 18 through 29. Christ, the, or the cross, is the power of God. Okay, so for the preaching of the cross is to them that are perishing foolishness, but unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. So the central point of this verse is how the perishing see the cross and how the saved see the cross. There's two different ways that the cross is being seen. Verse 19, for it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and I will bring nothing to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? And I want to put a little uh, parenthesis in there. Christ's death on a tree, saving the lost, was foolishness to the world. Because that was a death of, a, of somebody that was a, a, a robber or a derelict or somebody that was not, wasn't certainly a king. That kind of death was humiliating. And uh, it was brutal. And so the death on a cross, which was God's plan from the beginning, became, uh, it was foolishness to the world. But to those that were being saved, it was the wisdom of God unto salvation. Verse 21. For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. See, the world doesn't doesn't know God. The spirit of the world doesn't know God. That's why Jesus said, if they don't receive me, they're not going to receive you. If they receive me, then they'll receive you. If he who walks in the light, uh, when you come into the light, he says, if you don't come into the light, you stay away from the light, that you will rather have darkness. So when that light comes, when people like us get around people that are in darkness, we begin to talk about Jesus, they're either going to come unto you and want to hear more, or they're going to get far away from you. Does that make sense? Because they don't want the light. 
So the world doesn't, the world knew not the wisdom of God. Verse 21, it pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. For the Jews require a sign and the Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. He's saying we preach the cross. Unto the Jews a stumbling block because they couldn't understand that this Jesus came out of nowhere and he was the, uh, the son of God. They couldn't understand that manna that came down from heaven. He didn't fit into their old wineskins, and so they couldn't receive him. And unto the Greeks who wanted knowledge, the Greeks were exalt, exalted themselves, and they sought after knowledge. So to the Greeks, they were fool, it was foolishness. They couldn't receive him because it was foolish. This doesn't make any sense. Stupid, right? Okay. Verse 24, but unto them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. So Christ is the power of God, and Christ is the wisdom of God. And that's why he speaks about Christ as the mystery that come, that's come into the earth. 25, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For you see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. And he has chosen the base things of the world and things which are despised hath God chosen. Yea, and things which are not to bring to naught the things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. God wants the glory. And when he does this, he's choosing these things. You know why? Because the Greek has to humble himself. And the Jew has to humble himself. And the Gentile has to humble himself in order to come to Jesus. We have to humble ourselves to come to the cross. And that was something that uh, they could not receive. And yet he's, he's telling us that those that are perishing, it's, it, they see the cross as foolishness, but those that are saved see the cross as the power of God. So for Paul, the message of the cross was the gospel. It was impossible for the apostle to preach the gospel without presenting the message of the cross. And this is important, so listen to this. So, preaching a high moral standard is not preaching the cross or the gospel. Preaching the universal fatherhood of God is not preaching the gospel. Preaching the universal brotherhood of man is not preaching the gospel. The gospel is the message of the cross. This is so important. We must judge what we hear. Is Christ crucified? Is the message bringing you to the cross? Is he being exalted in the preaching? Does it take our flesh by the cross? And I'll tell you, uh, one time um, uh, Becky told me this. She was talking to uh, Robert, Bob Curry, uh, uh, Pastor Bob, and she was asking him, how do you discern when, when there's preaching and somehow in your spirit you might not know that it sounds right, but you're, you can't hear what, you know, it does, there's nothing that you can pinpoint that, it's saying, that they're saying that's wrong. And he said that the preaching of God will always bring your flesh to a place of death. It should all, the messages that we hear should bring you by the cross because your flesh, in, in the cross, your flesh has to die. That is the power of God. Without the cross, we have no power. Without the 
the crucifixion of Jesus on the cross, we have no power to be saved. And so when you hear a message that's just appealing to your flesh man or is not confronting you in in us in our, our flesh to change, we have to question what, is, what are we hearing? Because anybody can preach a good message. Anybody can have five points and a close. Anybody can make you cry with a sad story. Okay? So if you go back uh, to the beginning of that chapter where Paul is talking about that the words that he would preach would not be the enticing words of man's wisdom. Because he knew that the enticing words of man's wisdom could not save anyone. Knowledge puffs up, but the Spirit of God brings deliverance and liberty and truth. It's the Spirit of God that sets us free. And so Paul is emphasizing here that it's the cross that we must be looking at in everything that we do. Amen? Okay, so the perishing see it as foolishness, the saved see it as the power of God. We have to take up our cross if we want to continue in him, in him and to be his disciples. At first, the gospel of the cross saved us. Now, as we follow after him, the gospel will transform us into his image by denying self. Let's go to Luke 14, 27 through 35. I don't hear pages. 1427 through 35 says, And whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. That's a heavy statement. Whosoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. The disciples must follow Jesus even to the place of taking his cross. When a person took a cross in Jesus' day, it was for one reason it was to die. The ancient Roman cross did not negotiate, it did not compromise, and it did not make deals. There was no looking back when you, when you took up your cross, and your only hope was in resurrection life. This is what baptism is all about. It's a picture of a, of a Christ-like walk. It is an illustrated picture. When Jesus said that, that first you get saved, he wanted them baptized right away. And a lot of times we just wait for people to get baptized. And I don't believe in that. I believe that you get saved, they should be baptized as soon as possible, and then they should be baptized in the Holy Spirit and speak in tongues. Because you give people too much time to get religious, and then they talk it away. And if you want all of God, then we do all of what God tells us. And so when you're baptized in water, it is a picture, it is a visual. You're going down, as in your, and your, uh, your earth man or your, your, man, your flesh man is going into the death like Jesus went into the grave. But when you come out, you're coming out in resurrected life. And you're declaring to the heavenlies and to those that are around you that I am a Christian. I am born again. My old man is gone. I am now a new creature in Christ, and I am going to live like a new creature in Christ. That's what baptism is about. So your cross isn't really your particular trial or trouble. The cross means one thing. It means death, death to self, but resurrection life unto God. The general idea, and this is a, a quote uh, from uh, uh, somebody that I was reading. I don't even know how to say his name. Geldenwise. I don't know what, that, what nationality that is. Okay, the general idea that these words of Jesus about bearing the cross refer to passive submission to all kinds of afflictions 
Some people believe this, like disappointments, pain, sickness, grief that come upon man in life is totally wrong. Only a person who for the sake of his service surrenders all self-seeking and abandons all striving after his own interests can be his disciples. So it's about us denying self. It's, it's, it's about us putting down our uh, and submitting our lives to Christ because Jesus totally surrendered his life and hung on a tree. And then he says, follow me. He's our, he is our master. And Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. So we follow Jesus. What was Jesus born to do? He was born to die. Now, we don't have to die on a cross because he did that once and for all. But we do have to, to strive to allow him and to submit ourselves constantly to him, that our, submitting our flesh constantly to him, saying, Lord, what would you want? Lord, what would you have me do today? Lord, here's my plan. So, I notice for me, sometimes I'll, I'll have plans and then I'll try to fit him into my plan. Instead of saying, here's my plan, here's what I'm doing today, Lord, you interrupt if you want. You come and you uh, re, re, reroute what you want to reroute. And you show me what you have for this day and help me to be a light in the earth. Amen? Okay, so... What Jesus was telling them is that they needed to put to death their own plans and desires and then turn their lives over to him and do his will every day. You see, Jesus doesn't simply call us to believe that he existed or even to believe that he can save us. He calls on us to commit our whole lives to him, to trust him alone for our salvation, and then to follow him as his disciples. Sometimes we think that, don't we? That we're just... We're saved just because we don't have to go to hell. And, and a lot of Christians think, well, I'm saved and that's all I need to do. And that's not all, we, that's not all it is. There is, a, there is. When we committed to him, we gave our life away. And we picked up his life. And um, uh, in, in, you know, in America, we have a, a very fast food gospel. We, have a very, we want things now. We want to change right now. And a lot of times it's a process. God is pulling layers off of us. And we're, it's a process of walking and getting to know him and, and loving him because he died for us to be reconciled to the Father. And our first ministry is unto him. Our first, above anything else, above our ministry to anybody else, above our call, above everything, he came so that he could reconcile us unto the Father so that we could walk with him like Adam did. He walked in the cool of the day. He walked in the spirit with God, and he spoke with him, and he fellowshiped with him. And that's what God has for us. That's what he purchased for us. And so our first ministry is to him above anything else. And if we get that right then this other relationship stuff is easy because this, this makes it peaceable. You know what I'm saying? Okay, so this total commitment, Jesus gave himself for us totally and expects us to give ourselves to him totally. We can understate the demands of Jesus when we preach the gospel to others. We can give them the impression that coming to Jesus is only believing some facts instead of a yielding life. This is where we get people who have mentally ascended to Christianity but not really born again. And there's a lot of people sitting in churches and sitting in pews, and they're inoculated with the gospel, and they've mentally ascended to know and understand that, yes, you have to be saved, and they understand some of the things of the scriptures, but they're not truly converted inside of their hearts. They're not changed. 
Jesus said to bring forth fruits of repentance. You will know them by their fruits. Christians are followers of Christ, and they should look like Christ, or they shouldn't say they're Christians. Now, it doesn't mean we're perfect. doesn't mean we're, we have everything right, but it means that we call upon him. It means, means we try to walk a straight line. And we strive to ask him for help. And when we make mistakes, we are quick to repent. Amen? Okay. For which of you intended to build a tower? Where was I? I'm still in Luke. Uh, 28, uh, 14, 28. Sitteth not down first and count the cost, where he hath sufficient to finish it, lest haply, after he has laid the foundation, is not able to finish it. All that behold it begin to mock him saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going to war against another king sitteth not down first and consulteth whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him that cometh against him with 20,000? Or else, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends an ambassador and desires conditions of peace. So likewise, whoso he be of you that forsakes not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple." Salt is good, but if the salt is lost its savor, wherewith shall it be seasoned? It is neither fit for the land, nor yet for the dunghill, but men cast it out. He that has ears let to hear, let him hear. The Lord is eager and wants us and is cheering us on, along with the great cloud of witnesses, for us to finish the race that we've begun. And he wants us to be salty. I read a commentary that was talking about salt. Sodium chloride is readily water-soluble. So if this crude salt were exposed to condensation or rain, the sodium chloride would be dissolved and removed, and the salt could lose its effect, in effect lose its saltiness. So it gets water. If it gets watered down, it, it loses its saltiness. So for the Christian, for the salt of the earth, to lose his degree of saltiness, the gospel would have to be diluted in his life. Isn't that good? And so the salt is not... So have you ever, I tell you right now, I, I go to Uncle Harry, I'm, I shouldn't even say that, it's Uncle Harry's, but they had these salt, and I, you can't get flavor out of it. And I'm pouring the salt on, and it's still not salty, and I finally realized, I thought, oh my God, this is like, this is really like what we're supposed to be. This is really saltless salt. This doesn't have any flavor. I, fi- I got it. Do you ever do, did you do, have you noticed that, anybody that goes there? I think they changed it since then. I think they have little packets now, but it, it's like, this salt is like worthless, man. <laughs> okay, so this person is the complacent Christian, the person who does not protect the truth. We are protectors of this in our lives. And when somebody's preaching and it's not of God, we are supposed to be loyal to this. This is our plumb line. And if it's not lining up this with this, we have to throw it out. That doesn't mean that all of it might be bad, but you know what? A little, le- a little leaven leavens the whole lump. And if I give you, uh, I don't know, half a cup of poison and I give you five drops of poison, are you not both going to die? doesn't matter how much poison if it's poison. That's how it is. So we protect, that does not protect the truth of the gospel in his life from the rainfall of other ideas and ideologies, and we know that those are pouring, they're in the earth, uh, and, and in this text, in this commentary, this person was saying... Um, they don't protect the truth of the gospel in their life from the rainfall of other ideas and ideologies, Buddhism, Islam, American culture. 
This person mixes the truth with a myriad of other ideologies. And, and don't we know people that do that where they take philosophies that they don't even realize because they're not in the word, that, that they're mixing it. So they take some of what they hear or maybe some of this that we've heard, that we've actually read. And then when we go about our day, if we do not stay in the word, we, especially if you're in the school system, you will be washed over with the humanistic ideology of the school system, which is anti-Christ. And you will not know that it's happening. I, I'll never forget when we had the college people at our house, and I think I've shared this before, it was astonishing to me to hear some of the things they would say. Because these are kids, and I'm not criticizing, but these are kids that have been in church their whole life. And they would spit out things, and it would be like truth, 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 and they would spit something out and go, that's not right. And it's from the school system. And so we have to be in the Word to wash that off of us and, and realize, oh, this isn't right thinking. And this practice here, this yoga, whatever you want to call it, I, I don't believe in Christian yoga. It's a philosophy. It's a teaching. And it will lead you astray. And so we have to protect the truth. And I tell you right now, people will argue with you over that, but I would rather err on the side of I'm not getting anywhere near it to keep myself clean than let's go dabble in something that might b bring bondage to me. Amen? Okay, so let's go to Luke 9, 23 through 26. Verse 23. I'll let you guys get there. Is this making sense? We're good? I'm not pounding you over the head with a mallet hard, too hard, just a little bit. <laughs> okay, verse 23. And he said to them all, If a man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Where are you going today, Lord? That's our question. Uh, and I already talked about the disciples. Then when they responded by leaving their livelihood, this was what they chose, the livelihood that they chose. And now, as they submitted to him, it would be what Jesus would choose. And that's how it is for us. Even though we have a job or a career that we do, we, we still, and you've, you've worked your life for, and you've got, you know, degrees or whatever, those are good things because God can use those things. But you have to take that and submit it to him. And then the Lord will take it up, and he'll, he'll use it for his glory. Or he may even say, hey, I, I want you to go here. I want you to go there. It's time for you to move on from this specific thing. And we have to be ready for that if that's what he's calling us to. This was, uh, for whosoever, verse 24, will save his life, will lose it. But whosoever will lose his life for my sake, the same will, will save it. For what is a man advantaged if he gains the whole world and loses himself or be cast away? For, what, for whosoever shall be ashamed of me and my words, of him shall the Son of Man be ashamed, when he shall come in his own glory and his father's and of the holy angels. So the commentaries that I was reading is, I like to pull some of these things out because they're so good. Uh, so it's the, the part that says, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow daily. Everybody that knew what Jesus meant when he said, take up his cross, we don't, we don't see it the way they saw it because they crucified people. And so when he said, take up your cross, they understood what that meant in a different way. Everyone knew what the cross was, an unrelenting instrument of nothing but death. 
The cross wasn't about religious ceremonies. It wasn't about traditions and spiritual feelings. The cross was a way to execute people. We have sanitized and ritualized the cross in these 20 centuries after Jesus. How would we receive it if Jesus said to us, walk down death row daily and follow me? Taking up your cross wasn't a journey. It was a one-way trip. There was no returning ticket. It was never a round trip. And that's, these words evoke a sense of fear, so we, try, we shrink back because we're afraid. And I'm afraid. I, I, it's, it, it's a death, you guys. We have to die. But yet, in the death, there's resurrection life and there's power because the power is the cross. And so what, the question that I, I ha- ask myself is, what are some of the things we are afraid of? Think about it. What, what are some of the things are we afraid of? What are you afraid of? reputation, riches or goods, relationships. We are afraid of what we might lose or what the Lord might make us do. That's a big one. Some, I mean, Lord, tell me to do anything, but don't send me to Africa. You know, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> and that's the very person that he sends to Africa. So don't ever say that. <laughs> don't send me to Hawaii, <laughs> Stuart. Ha <laughs> ha. But if we do not take up our cross daily, we will not fully walk in the authority that Christ has purchased. And we cannot be his disciples, nor are we worthy of him. We are also in danger of losing our life. Why? Because the gospel is the cross. And if we got saved, we have embraced it so we could be born again. And so we are now in the process of the death of our flesh. We're we're nailing our flesh to that cross every day. And it is a one-way ticket. It's what, we've, it's what we embraced when we got saved. All of Christ. Matthew 10, 32 through 39. Whosoever there shall confess me before men, him will I confess also before my Father which is in heaven. But whosoever shall deny me before men, him will I also deny before my Father which is in heaven. Think not that I come to send peace on earth. I came not to send peace, but a sword. For I am come to set a man at variance against his father and the daughter against her mother and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's foes shall be they of his own household. He that loveth or or a mother more than father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he that taketh not his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He that findeth his life shall lose it, and he that loses his life for my sake shall find it. So the question is, how do we go about embracing the cross? And the answer is, we must love God more than anything else. We must begin a true love affair with the word of God. His word must be our lifeline, Protect it at all costs, receiving unto ourselves only the pure, untainted word of God in our hearts. It must be our plumb line, always asking, what does the word say? And what is a plumb line? It is a string with, with a lead or a plumb bob at the end. So here's string. And it's used to provide a vertical reference line. And they use it uh, for lining up wallpaper. And so the plumb line, when it snaps, it, it leaves a, a line that's straight. So the word of God is our plumb line. If, 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 if we line it up to the line that we're walking and, it's not, and our line's not straight, then we have to correct our line according to the word of God. 2 Timothy 1, 6 through 9. Wherefore I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God which is in thee by the laying on of hands. 
For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and of a sound mind. Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me his prisoner, but be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. So we do not have a spirit of fear. And I want to tell you, if you, you know, you, you read that and you think God has not given us a spirit of fear, but, or God has not given us fear, but fear is a spirit. He's telling us God has not given a spirit of fear, but of love, power, and a sound mind. And when Jesus died on the cross, he had, he had a, a crown of thorns shoved into his mind, into his head, which represents that he purchased a sound mind for us. We don't have to have, be out of our mind or have uh, confusion or have uh, mental uh, problems in our mind. The Lord purchased and delivered us and healed us. And so we have a sound mind, and we, have, we, don't, have to, we don't have a spirit of fear. So if we are in fear of something, that is the enemy. We can point to it, that's the enemy. What do I do? I rebuke you in Jesus' name. Go from me. God has not given me a spirit of fear. I will embrace the cross that God has given me today. I will do what God has called me to do today. I will submit my flesh and crucify my old man so that I can walk in resurrection life because it's only then that people can see Jesus in you and in me is when we walk that way. And so Paul is urging Timothy to not fear but take up his cross and do his part. And I want to read this commentary, the last by John Rittenbaugh. It says, an indication of Timothy's personality comes through in this verse. Apparently, Timothy was an introverted, retiring personality who of himself would not do what he would be called upon to do. By the end of the book, Paul knows that he is going to die. From all indications, Timothy would bear the weight of responsibility for preaching the gospel after Paul's death. Paul knows what Timothy is like because he has spent years with him traveling around the Mediterranean region. The apostle, concerned about Timothy having the mind, the personality, the will to carry out his responsibilities, reminds him that God's spirit is one of power and love and of sound-mindedness. And so it is with each person God calls. It's with us. He gives whatsoever gifts one needs to carry out his responsibility within the body. Most will find certain parts of the Christian life uncomfortable or the requirements that God has established difficult to meet, that there is no need to fear, for the power is available or God is not God. He has promised that he will finish what he starts. We can do whatever he asks because he does not require more than can be accomplished with the gifts that we already have. The Lord is gracious to us. Trust him. And that's what our relationship is all about, isn't it? It's about trusting in him, trusting that where he leads us, that he won't just drop us, that if he says, come walk on the water with me, he's not going to let you sink. And if you get your eyes off him, he's gracious. He will grab you and he will pull you unto himself. And so this walk is an exciting walk. It's a walk of denying our flesh, but it's an exciting walk because we get to walk in his power free as we walk in the spirit, free from the law of the flesh, which is bondage. We don't have to walk that way anymore. Christ has set us free, and he's delivered us so that we can walk like he walked and have a continual uh, uh, moving of, of waters, like the river, 
a continual uh, moving in him that's taking us deeper and deeper and deeper. And one of the things that I saw uh, last, when I was praying last Sunday in church, I saw uh, a river, I think it pertains to us now, uh, a river that was flowing very fast, very, very fast. And there was a guy that ju- was in the river, and he jumped, and he was struggling with all his might against the current. And, it, and it's like finally when he was exhausted, he, he let himself go with the current, and he had peace. And that's how God wants us to be. Instead of kicking against the goads of what God is doing in our lives and the place that he's taking us, we surrender every time to him. We surrender, we submit to him. And we go with the river, we will have peace and we will have a nice ride. (laughs) Amen? 